This can be played at high volume. Live and local. This is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. And welcome back. Hour two of two underway right here on Under the Dome with CD. Right here on the game, 103.7 Live. You had a 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home. For the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Got a couple guests coming up in this hour. One of those, Tyler Fornes, part of NBC Sports Edge. We're going to talk about some of the over-under bets in the world of college football. Because I saw him put up something about the Cajuns over-under. And I want to hear his explanation. Because I'm on the, I've been on the fence, as you've heard me say many a time, the over-under of eight and a half wins. I've been on the fence on it for a good while. So I want his perspective on that while also getting to a little bit more about the futures for this season. Then we got Chris Gordy at 10.30. Going to talk a little bit of SEC football. He's host of Locked on SEC Podcast. We're also getting some Astros since he's part of Sports Talk 790 as well. But in the meantime and in between time, we got time to take your calls, and I think we're going to get a lot of feedback, at least that's what I assume, on this segment. Because I want to get to a top five list of athletes, to come out of the Acadiana area to start off Hour 2. If you want to call in and give me yours, 337-706-0111. And right as I was about to push the button to talk, wound up getting a call. So we're going to go to the game hotline right now, see who it is. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hey, good morning, Mr. World Famous. How you doing? Mr. Jamie, how you doing, brother? I'm doing all right, man. Just on the road listening to the show, and uh, as always, it's a good one, man. I'm enjoying it. And uh, so I just wanted to – I know you're about to do the top five athletes and all, and every Henderson isn't on that list. I'm not going to be very happy. But um, I just wanted to point out, you know, I, I agree with I agree with you putting uh, ULM where you did. But I'm afraid they're on the uptick, man. Like, they worry me. They really do. It looks like their program is going in the right direction, especially with the regime change and everything else. And, uh, you know, it's funny. They they do have a winning tradition. I mean, it was 35 years ago, but they won the national championship and won double-A. Now, granted, since then, the most notable things that have happened to that university is when their mascot got his butt kicked by Vic the Demon. Um, back in like, you know, the early 90s. I knew you were going to say something uh, about that. <laughs> I have to, man. That's like, it's still played on TV. It's great. Um, and then making Nick Saban late for a bowl game because he couldn't get over losing to Monroe. Um, so, but no, man, I think they're on the uptick, but I definitely agree with your placement. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but man, I can, I can remember Texas State being in the Southland too. And they were a joke in the Southland, so I don't know what made them think they were going to have any luck in the FCS level. I mean, FBS level, but, you know, whatever. So, 
But that's that's my, my take. I just wanted to get in, and I uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. I'm going to be looking forward to listening to the rest of the show, brother. I appreciate it, man. And spoilers. Devery landed in the honorable mention, the the ARV of this top five. Because we always like to have the, the top five be the definitive list. And I think it's there's a lot of stuff in that mix of why I put these guys in here. And you'll, you'll understand why. Because I'll give you explanations. I'll give you the resume as well. Because there's some names in there that absolutely, I feel like if I didn't include them, I was going to get some heat either way. So I'm going to go ahead and break out the top five right here, right now. And we'll start with number five. And again, this is personal preference. But I think we need to put Daniel Cormier in a top five list. And this, again, this is athletes from the Acadiana area. Players and athletes. I'm talking straight up athletes. Not like the best player. But athletes, period. And he was a six-time U.S. World or Olympic team member. He won a bronze medal in the 2007 World Wrestling Championships. He was part of an Olympic team before he had to pull out in Athens in 04. He, he was a gold medalist during the Pan Am Games in 03. His resume, just in terms of actual wrestling and not pro wrestling, we're talking about the Greco-Roman stuff, just that alone puts him at a level that I don't think many people can reach. Like, I, I'm serious. His numbers speak for itself. All the medals he's won over the years, representing the U.S., national championships, left, right, and sideways, was consistently winning those. Then he transitions once that chapter of his career closed. He wound up transitioning to the world of MMA. And not only did he win the Strike Force Heavyweight Championship, that was about 10 years ago. That was about 10 years ago when he won that championship by unanimous decision against Josh Barnett, one of the best heavyweights, I think, of all time. He's definitely up there in that list. Then he transitions and becomes a champ champ in the UFC, not only in the heavyweight division, but the light heavyweight division. Had one of the best rivalries of all time against John Jones, who I have my own personal opinions about, but without a doubt, he took John Jones to the limit in some cases, but I think... Obviously, he wasn't the victor in those. But he also beat one of the best heavyweights in the history of the UFC. Yes, he lost the other two, but you still can't take away the victory. When he beat Stipe Miocic about four years ago. And again, this is personal bias shining through in this number five. But Daniel Cormier absolutely deserves it. The resume is there for him to be, without a doubt, one of the best in the business. No doubt about it. In my mind, he belongs, without a doubt, number five on the list. And this one, I'm going to go a little more old school with number four. It's probably the one, one of the two old school guys. And I think a lot of people of a certain age, would absolutely agree with my statement here. He played 10 years in the NFL, had a really solid career. I think we got to include Johnny Hector. 
how can we not include somebody like that? Played for Nish in high school and is considered to be one of the best athletes from the Acadian area to come out of the football realm. I think there's one more, which we'll talk about a little bit, that deserves a lot more credence. He was absolutely a monster. Part of that two-headed monster backfield with Freeman McNeil back in the day in the mid to late 80s. That helped make the New York Jets somewhat of a decent team. He absolutely is one of the better athletes to come out of the Acadian area. Played at A&M. I'm not going to hold that against him. But at 5'11", 200 pounds, he was an absolute freaking beast. Unlike any other. Then he played in the NFL for 10 years. Was a second round pick for the New York football Jets. Played for them for a while. Until 1990 was his last year. Last touchdown, I should say. His last touchdown was in 1990 against the New England Patriots. That alone, the longevity, the career he's had, and the legacy he has in this area, there's no doubt in my mind, he is at the top of that list of the top five. He's at number four. Number three, we're going to go on the baseball side here. There's only one name that I think we can bring up, and everybody would probably universally agree with this. Ron Guidry absolute unit and was a two played only two years for the Louisiana Raging Cages but he's from the heart of Cajun country Louisiana Lightning Gator absolutely was phenomenal during his two years at UL then USL 12 and 5 2.03 ERA over two years that's impressive then he gets drafted by the New York Yankees, plays for them for 13 years. 13 years. What does he do? Well, he goes mess around, wins a Cy Young Award, five-time Gold Glove winner, two-time, two-time World Series champion in 77 and 78, four times to the All-Star game. Two times he's the AL wins leader, two-time AL ERA leader. His numbers retired not just at Yankee Stadium, but he's also got his jersey retired at UL. The Roberto Clemente Award. The dude has hands down one of the best MLB careers from the Acadian area. If you don't agree with it, 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. The resume speaks for itself. 170-91 record, 3.29 ERA. 1778 strikeouts. I know stats don't speak well on radio, but that speaks volumes for the resume that he put on the table. Now, we got to get to another name that I think a lot of people here in the Acadian area, especially this particular area where this show is broadcasting from, would agree. Feezy K, number two on this list. I think Feezy K is absolutely one of the best running backs to come out of the area. Johnny Hector's up there. But I think Feezy K, not just for what he did over at Carrico High, he was an absolute monster at Acadian High, helping the team win a state championship in 1992. Almost 5,000 yards was All-American honors by USA Today and Parade. I remember always seeing that popping up. He was a two-time Louisiana's most valuable player in high school. 
This dude was a stud. Then he joined LSU and was All-American again. He was not, again, not just an All-American at the high school and collegiate level. Then he winds up having a great career and a long career, that, from 99 to 2011. We talk about it all the time, how much of a shelf life running backs have and Feezy K lasted a long time till 2011. Wasn't necessarily used nearly as much towards the end of the road, but at the same time, he managed to have a long career and multiple Super Bowl rings. Mind you, a lot of that off the back of one Tom Brady, but the fact still stands, he's got a ton of rings to show for what he's done. And that absolutely speaks volumes. Absolutely one of the best players to come out of the Acadian area. Feezy K. I know there's, again, personal bias. Maybe I'm wrong on this. But I think a lot of you would agree with some of the with a bulk of this top five list. Maybe not the order, but I think the top five list would consist of Kevin Falk, Ron Guidry. I think those two would be in there. Now we get to the reason why this top five list was created. And if you don't agree with this, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Number one with a bullet has to be Mondo Duplantis, the best player, best athlete, not not player, athlete to come out of the Acadian area. Why? Look what he did last weekend in the World Athletics Championship. He beat his own freaking record, world records. The dude racks him up like he's playing Galaga at your local movie theater. He's out there setting all the high scores. All you're seeing is Mondo, 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 Mondo. The record list, it's all the way through. Yes, he's competing for Sweden, but he's ours from Lafayette High. He's only doing that because he's got dual citizenship, and he's going to be making a crap ton more money being part of the Sweden national team than he would being part of the U.S. national team. Trust me on that. But look at it. He's got world records in damn near everything. And he's been doing this since he was in high school. Was doing this in the junior, the youth level. The dude is untouchable. And you saw that in the 2022 World Championships. This guy was absolutely just destroying everybody. It was like watching Alabama against any other team in the world of college football. Nobody can touch him. And that's why he's number one on the list. With a bullet. Number one, Mondo Duplantis, the best athlete to come out of the Acadian area, and I don't think anybody's going to be able to reach that level anytime soon. Ten years from now, 20 years from now, hell, when my grandkids have a radio show, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but when they have a radio show, they'll say Mondo Duplantis is the undisputed king. If I have grandkids, I don't know. That's a different conversation for a different day. Honorable mentions, Mr. Jamie brought him up. Devery Henderson deserves to be in the honorable mention list. Again, personal bias here. Lucas Taylor is an honorable mention guy. Just what he did at Karen High alone, he showed me. Like I was continually blown away by what he did. I remember he had a 500 yards rushing in a single game. They lost that game, but 500 yards rushing, which was a state record at the time. Absolutely impressive. Kayshawn Boutte 
is a guy that I think 10 years – whoops, excuse me. Kind of moved around my microphone there. 10 years from now, I think he could be a top five guy. The story's not entirely written on him yet, but he could be the next guy on this list. That's just my humble opinion. We're going to take a quick timeout, come back with more with Tyler Fornes. Going to talk some betting over-unders and everything in between. Next, right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. You're getting more under the dome with CD right now on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and we want to hook you up with our latest Astros Weekend Getaway because the Red Hot Houston Astros take on the Baltimore Orioles on August 27th, and you can be there. Just sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations for that Saturday night. And the Astros Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let's waste no further time. Let's get aboard our next guest on the program. He's on the game hotline, and that is Tyler Fornes, part of NBC Sports Edge College Football, also the publisher of Run and Shooter. Tyler, how you doing on the Saturday? Life is good on this Saturday morning up here in Minnesota. I'm, I'm ready to have some fun talking ball. How are you? I'm doing pretty darn good here. I, I can about imagine the temperature difference is stark, to say the very least, from Minnesota all the way down here to Lafayette, Louisiana. And let's start off with the Louisiana Raging Cages because I saw an article that you posted yesterday because I love looking at the spreads and the lines, getting other people's opinions on some of the futures. And the over-under has been the most intriguing for me when you look at the Raging Cajuns. At eight and a half wins, you've got a new head coach, a lot of changes, namely a quarterback, You've got a lot of question marks on the offensive side of the football, but I had somebody at the top of the hour say how good the secondary is with the Cajuns, and you have them at over eight and a half wins. Go ahead and sell me, maybe sell some other people on why this may be the right pick to click at eight and a half wins, taking the over. Well, uh, when I took a look at at the Raging Cajuns, you know, obviously losing Billy Napier to the Florida Gators uh, hurt. And then Montreal Johnson and Osiris Torrance went two of the better players on the Raging Cajun roster. But I really liked what I saw in the bowl game from new head coach Michael Desormo. They they really played hard. They played well. Um, obviously, you don't want to lose a starting quarterback like Levi Lewis, but he had his own limitations. I'm really intrigued to see how this offense continues to grow and evolve, um, especially with uh, Christmas returning in that backfield. I think he's, he's poised to have a really, really big year. And then the big thing with uh, – Louisiana's, you've got to take a look at the schedule. Southeast Louisiana, Eastern Michigan, Rice, like those are your big non-conference games, and those are really easy to win. You Being in the west side of the conference, you avoid App State. You avoid Georgia Southern, who I think, sorry, Georgia State, who I think is poised to have a big year. 
you draw Coastal Carolina, but you get them at home. And I think that's a really big deal. You have to lose four games in order for the under to hit. I look at this schedule, and I don't see four losses. I see one to two. And like, so it's probably going to be Florida State and Coastal Carolina. The rest of these games are easily winnable. They should be favored by relatively hefty margins. It, it feels like an easy over for me. And it's just been interesting to kind of see how people are reacting to everything that's going on with the new head coach and a lot of changes. I've, I'm, you're starting to convince me a little bit more to put some money on the Cajuns to get over that eight and a half wins. I think you brought it up perfectly. You start the season, you have no excuse of starting at least three and zero, if not four and zero, to start mm-hmm. off the season. That would be huge towards getting that over to cash. But looking at just the Sun Belt as a whole. Where do you kind of see things going with the Sunbelt Championship and who's going to be hoisting up that what I like to call the 10 pounds of silver at the end of the year? Uh, it, it's, it's really hard to go against Louisiana because they have been so incredibly competitive in that conference. Um, I think uh, it's – I would – if I had to pick, I'd probably go App State. I really love uh, how Chase Bryce performed last year, the, the duo in the backfield led by Cameron Peebles. I think that, that that's a team to really watch out for. Coastal, they still have Grayson McCall. They have uh, some nice options as far as weapons go, but they, they lost three of their best last year, including tight end Isaiah Likely. And uh, eventually, like people are going to figure out that Jamie Chadwell spread triple option. So uh, App State would be my pick to win the conference this year, but I think when you see Louisiana and App State play in that title game, it's going to be a barn burner and it's going to be a must-watch. Talk right now with Tyler Fornes, part of NBC Sports Edge on the college football front. And let's look at some other – I mean, let's go to the other team that's inside the state of Louisiana that we talk about a lot here because we're your home for the LSU Tigers. Let's get to them. And I think, honestly, their over-under – I was saying it back whenever the over-under first came out at 7. I think that might be the appropriate number that the guys out in Vegas kind of put together – where, where do you kind of land on that? Would it be worth it to put some money on the over there? That, that's a really tough one because you're talking about LSU playing in not only the SEC, but the juggernaut that is the SEC West. You've got Bama, you've got Texas A&M. Ole Miss is not going to be a slouch. I love what they've done in the transfer portals. You're getting Zach Evans and Ulysses Bentley the fourth, And Brian Kelly has done a really good job recruiting, but – I have massive question marks at the quarterback position, and it's something outside of Joe Burrow. feels like we've been talking about the Louisiana program for the better part of the last 20 years. They just haven't been able to completely figure that position out. Is uh, Jaden Daniels going to be uh, – is he going to take a step? Is Garrett Nussmeyer going to take over and, and be like a surprise, kind of like Joe Burrow was a couple years ago? You start off with Florida State, which is going to be a tougher competition than the record shows because Jordan Travis is figuring it out and Mike Norvell has that program on the right path but seven feels like a really good number and i would have a difficult time betting the over or the under because they don't give you that half game and i think that's that's specifically on purpose like i think this team needs a year to try and figure themselves out with brian kelly to get acclimated to a new style a new system that a new culture and then once that kind of gets set in i would look at 2023 to be the year where they were able to really make a breakout I would, I would stay away from the seven line. If he goes to seven and a half, I bet the under. If it goes to six and a half, I bet the over. But seven, I'm not comfortable with. I'm, I'm, I can get where you come from there because it just it, there's so much 
questions, especially when you think about the fact you don't have a quarterback ready to go in-house right now and as you head into fall camp because you'll obviously have a competition with Jaden Daniels and then you've got Miles Brennan, a guy that's been in that program for a while, had entered the transfer portal, came back on the other side, and came back to LSU. Where does that kind of lie when it comes to how things look over there? But you bring up Florida State and how they look – you know, where do you see them kind of landing in the over/under on on that side? Because I'm seeing them, Florida State, at six and a half. The over/under. Do you think that's fair, or do you think you, that's an easy cash on the over? When it comes to uh, Florida State in uh, the year 2022, I don't think anything is set in stone. I, I I'm I grew up a Florida Gator fan. I've been watching Florida State football my entire life. Like this program is in a weird state because that. It feels like that they're primed to try and get Deion Sanders from Jackson State. That's just kind of my prerogative. But the ACC isn't exactly what you would call strong. Um, when you take a look at the Florida State schedule, they get Clemson at home and with DJ Ewing on really struggling. That, that's a game that they almost won last year. Uh, they do draw Miami on the road, but there are very winnable games on the schedule. And I think seven wins is incredibly plausible, especially with the strides Jordan Travis took at the end of last year. Norvell in his third season. This is one I'd go the over and wouldn't shock me if they win eight or nine. Were you surprised to see the Clemson over-under win total at ten and a half? Not at all, because even with the struggles at quarterback last year, that defense was still number two in the nation in scoring and number three in the nation in yards allowed. That defense can flat-out play. The really interesting thing about Clemson is they have to change both coordinators. And when you lose long-standing guys like Tony Elliott and Brent Venables, there's going to be some growing pains, but the benefit for them, and it could be a detriment too because we've seen the struggles on offense, is both guys are coming from within the organization. Because they're within the organization, you can kind of continue some of the things that you're already doing and then implement your own stuff, but also not getting any outside voices to tell you, hey, you need to fix this, you need to change that, you need to keep going with this, almost like a self-scouting deal. So 10.5 is one that I wrote about Clemson. I bet the under on it just because they don't trust DJ. And if DJ struggles, it's going to be incoming five-star freshman Kate Klubnik. And even though he won three straight titles at Westlake out of Austin in 6A Texas high school football, which is the pinnacle of high school football in the nation, like you're also talking about asking a, a true freshman to lead a program and get them 11 wins. Like That's not a lot of wiggle room for Clemson. Um, that, to me, that's an under. I got one more before I let you go because I want to get into the Heisman Trophy futures is it just largely Bryce Young versus the field? I know he's got the second-best odds right now because C.J. Stroud is the leader of the pack, but it feels like Bryce Young is that guy that can make a big run for it. But I'm also wanting kind of an underdog, a dark horse type of pick for the Heisman Futures that you think could kind of rise up the ranks before it's all said and done. Absolutely. I'll give you uh, four real quick ones. And uh, two of them at plus 4,000, Alabama back Jameer Gibbs, Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson, those are guys, if they fulfill their potential, they could easily be up there. Um, Quinn Ewers at plus 3,500, he has one of the best arms I've ever seen. And not just, like, period. The guy can absolutely throw the football. If he's able to thrive with Steve Sarkeesian, Texas could really be back this year. But I like Will Anderson at plus 2,000. He had 17.5 sacks, 31.5 tackles for loss last year was the best player in college football, and I thought should have won the Heisman. But defenders, they need that little bit extra in order to get there. That's why Manti Taylor finished second. 
Aiden Hutchinson and Will Anderson didn't get there. So that's why only Charles Woodson has ever won the award. Um, Bryce Young may be the favorite, but the committee has intentionally, in my opinion, not given a guy a second Heisman because of what Archie Griffin did at Ohio State in the 70s. Tim Tebow should have won over Mark Ingram in 2009, uh, but he didn't because of that fact, in my opinion. I, it's, it's really tough for a guy to win, too. Um, Will Anderson would probably be my best bet at plus 2,000 just because he is the best player in college football. Tyler, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, man. My pleasure. Have a great day. All right, Tyler Fornes. You can follow him on the Twitter machine. Let me go ahead and pull his Twitter up right now. At The Real Forno. That's F-O-R-N-O. Appreciate him joining the program. Getting some thoughts on what's going on in the world of sports betting as we get closer to the start of the college football season. Always interested to kind of get that perspective on the over and unders. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll go around the SEC with our good friend Chris Gordy. Maybe some Astros talk as well right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station back after this. Most sports talk shows turn it up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome is far from your ordinary sports talk show. It takes it just one step higher. These guys are laughing. Now back to the show that gets the lead out. Under the Dome with CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. And the clock is ticking. you got a chance to win a brand-new Apple Watch. All you got to do is sign up and join our new text club. Just text GAME to 337-283-8100. That's GAME, 337-283-8100. So once you join, you'll be eligible to win a brand new Apple Watch, and also you'll have a ton of chances to win some other great prizes like Astros tickets and so much more. Some gift certificates, tickets to go see, some great concerts here in the Acadian area, and so much more. So find out more info at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. All right, let's kind of get the conversation over to the SEC. We talked a little bit about the SEC with the LSU Tigers, but let's get a look conference-wide with our good friend Chris Gordy. He's part of Sports Talk 790 and also the host of the Locked on SEC podcast. Chris, how you doing, my friend? What's going on, man? Good, uh, good weekend and good weekend to know that four weeks from today we will have college football uh, it's that weird week zero. I call it college football. If you go look at the slate, it actually is a pretty crappy slate of games. Like, I think one of the better games is Vanderbilt at Hawaii. But, hey, still, four weeks from today, we will have college football. Exactly. We can't complain about it. So, you bring up the fact it's week zero college football. I'm like, it's it's a lot like how Bob Uger said in Major League, welcome back to Major League Baseball, kind of. No, that's it. That's what it'll be. I believe Northwestern is playing Nebraska in Dublin, Ireland. So that one's actually pretty exciting. But I tell you that it's like a lot of uh, I don't know Alabama State versus you know somebody else you don't care about. So it's, it's, it's it's a little 
it's that primer where you really got to bet on some games to, to get to get your interest. But man, the, the week after that, uh, some really really good games, including the LSU Florida State game. So there's going to be a, a really good slate. It's just exciting. This is that time of year where man, it feels like it's so close, but then every day you're like counting down, going, man, just get here already. I've been counting down pretty much the second LSU got eliminated from the NCAA baseball playoff. That's basically where <laughs> where my thought process has been for the better part of like two or three months. I've been looking forward to this, well, and you know we'll start off. We'll start off. You bring up LSU and Florida State, that big game on Sunday night. How do you see things going for Brian Kelly in his first game? It's kind of wild. We think about it last year. That was Brian Kelly's first game in his last year at Notre Dame when he had the infamous statement about being in favor of execution. How do you think this game is going to go for Brian Kelly in the purple and gold? Yeah, I think LSU is a really interesting one um, because, you know, I was just at SEC Media Days a week ago and talking with a lot of people there. You know, they, they seem to think, like, a lot of people are very impressed with Brian Kelly. They think he's one of the best coaches in college football. They think it's a great hire for LSU. They also think LSU still has a lot of talent on their roster. But nobody can get a good read on what this team's going to look like. And I've heard every, everything from people predicting them to be a 500 team at 6-6. Six and six. Uh, I've even a few people say if things go right, this team could win 10 games in year one of Brian Kelly. So uh, it, there really is, they really are a team across the spectrum that we really don't know what to expect. But yeah, you would certainly want to start the Brian Kelly uh, error off on the right foot playing Florida State. I know Florida State's going to be a little bit ahead of you in that they know who their quarterback is. They know, uh, you know, they bring back a lot of pieces. They already know the system there under Mike Norvell. Uh, you know, but the good thing is LSU's playing in front of a, a pro uh, LSU crowd in New Orleans in the Superdome and, and should have the home field advantage there. So uh, it's one that I could see LSU losing, but then they got to find a way to win that one and start off on the right foot. And then, you know, you can run off a couple of games and maybe be undefeated before you go to Auburn and, uh, and feel pretty good about yourself. So I interviewed Brian Kelly last week. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's all in. He even used the term to me, you know, you don't get a pass. And you're one at LSU, you got to hit the ground running. And so, I, I, you know, at least he, he gets that, he understands it. And then I had some pretty good interviews with Mike Jones and Jack Bash, who are both, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Mike Jones is the veteran coming back for, for you know, his second year at LSU. But his first few years started off at Clemson, and so he knows Florida State very well. And then Jack Bash, who, you know, it's a sophomore next to his name, but that kid seems like a savvy vet already, uh, how he contributed last year as a true freshman. So, uh, I think they got some really good pieces. I know the quarterback thing is still up in the air. You know, Miles Brennan is, is who a lot of people are expecting to eventually win that job. But uh, man, I've seen some some lists this week of people ranking SEC quarterbacks. And Miles Brennan's way near the bottom. And I just think that's not really fair for a guy that, when he was healthy and playing, was throwing for 300, 400 yards a game. Um, you know, Miles is going to be the guy, and he settles in quickly. Man, I think he's going to surprise some people. And I think LSU's going to surprise some people. I would sure hope so, Chris. And you brought up Mike Jones, out a transfer out of Clemson, joined LSU. And as a guy who you do radio in Houston, what did you feel an inkling to do the who Mike Jones routine to him? Yeah, I did, and I interviewed him <laughs> last uh, last summer. And uh, but I had a gripe with him because I told him the, the actual the rapper Mike Jones follows me on Twitter, and he and the and Mike Jones, the football player, didn't. So I made him follow me back on Twitter. So that <laughs> I I now have both Mike Jones following me, but. I told him it was kind of weird for me because it's kind of come full circle because when I was a, a student at LSU, you know, we, all we listened to was Mike Jones, Paul Wall, and all those guys were, were popular at the time. And now here we are, 
full circle years later, we actually have a linebacker named Mike Jones playing for LSU. So he loves it. He has fun fun with it. He uh, you know he enjoys it. So um, yeah, it, I think it would be different if he absolutely hated it. Looking over at A and M, obviously you're a bit lot closer to them than I am because of the College Station. What do you think that team's ceiling is? Can they crack that glass ceiling that is? Nick Saban and Alabama this year because they've been a team that's always like heading into the season with a ton of hype, but never necessarily like reaches that level. They're always just come up a little bit short. Can they do it in 2022? Yeah, that's that's the big question with AM this year because you know, look, they finally slayed the drive the giant last year, they finally beat Alabama, but then they went and lost to the Mississippi schools and they lost to LSU, and you know, it's like, man, you, you finally broke through and won the one big game because keep in mind, the year prior. They went, I think it was eight and one uh, in the you know the COVID shortened season, and you know where you only played SEC game teams. And their one loss that year was to Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And so you know they, they kind of felt like they should have maybe had a run at the uh, at getting into the playoff that year. They got to the Orange Bowl. They whipped up a North Carolina, and everybody was like, "All right, Jimbo has arrived." And then you know they had the quarterback injury last year with Haynes King, and you know Zach comes out and beats Alabama. But like I said, loses Ole Miss, loses to Mississippi State. And, Right the eight and four season, and so you know there, there were some people saying maybe this is the year. A and M just had the the number one recruiting class in the country. They've got five stars all over the place, particularly on that defense. But the problem is they got to go to Tuscaloosa, and the problem is Nick Saban talks to fast. Jimbo fired back, took some personal shots. So that team is going to want to stick it to A and M big time this year. So you know if A and M loses that one, they lose another couple of games. I just wonder like. How many times are we going to keep hearing from Jimbo? Oh, we're close. Oh, we're close. We're coming. I mean, we're talking a decade in the SEC now, and A and M has not only played for you know not played for a championship, but they've not even won the SEC West. So you know, in that time, you know, Auburn's broken through, LSU's broken through. You know, Alabama, of course, is the perennial favorite every year. But like, when is going to be the year that A and M finally breaks through, wins the SEC West, gets to Atlanta? and gets into the college football playoffs. I think that's what all the Aggie fans are waiting for, but that's why they stepped up to the plate with NIL deals and writing checks to left and right to try to buy recruiting classes and buy, buy recruits to, to try to get there. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I was asking some people this week, they said they still don't think this is the year for A&M, and I just keep asking, well, how many years is Jimbo making 6 to $10 million a year? When, when is going to be the year? Exactly. I know – a&M would hope to have that kind of situation sewed up before Texas comes over because you know that's going to be fun to see. But we bring up Alabama Nick Saban, and I said it going back to after the 2019 season. Alabama had that revenge tour year. With everything that, that happened, with you coming up short in the national championship and getting beaten by Georgia when it mattered the most and also losing to A&M, to me this feels like the definition of a Saban revenge tour. And I had the fact that – Plenty of fuels on the fire with the fact everybody's saying, oh, hey, he's going to retire soon. He's going to retire soon. And he, during SCB Day, he's like, where y'all hear that information from? Yeah, I, I think the clock is ticking. You know, it's funny. I, I interviewed uh, David Cutcliffe, who just retired from coaching. You know, spent almost uh, a decade at Duke after having been in Tennessee and Ole Miss and bounced around the SEC. He's not working in the front office for the SEC. And, uh, and he looks old. Uh, and, and, you know, I wouldn't tell him that to his face, but I did bring up to him the fact that as old as David Cutcliffe looks, Nick Saban is three years older than him. And that blew my mind. I'm like, my God, like that man is older than David Cutcliffe. 
you just wonder how much longer he wants to do this. You know, we saw him go on the tirade about the NIL and, you know, other schools buying recruits and all this. And I think it's going to start to take a toll on some of these older coaches because, you know, it used to be a thing where you sat in your recruiting room and you got a commitment from a kid. You put his name on your big board and you filled out your, you know, you, a lot of these guys on their on their chalkboard, they have the, the basically a depth chart for 2022, 2023, 2024. And you, and you pencil kids' names in. You go, all right, we got this kid at left tackle. He's going to be our left tackle for the next three years. We got this kid at receiver. And, you know, you kind of plan out your, your, um, your roster that way. We can't do that anymore because it's literally it's a one-year deal now with the transfer portal and kids being able to transfer at any time, anywhere. So it becomes, yeah, you, you basically get these kids on a one-year deal. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the offseason, you got to re-recruit them. you got to talk them in the stand and convince them why they got to stay in Alabama. I just think – those elements are going to start to, you know, wear down Nick Saban, and I think they've already started to wear him down. And look, he's no lack of success, right? They're still, gonna have, you know, all the all the bitches complain about not having, you know, losing to A&M and recruiting. It's still the number two class behind A&M, so they're still doing this fine. I just wonder, you know, basketball. We're seeing the Roy Williams and the Coach K's and the Jay Wrights hang it up because they're they're seeing the writing on the wall with all the headaches that this is creating. I think you're going to start to see. You know, Mac Brown's probably going to retire soon. You're going to see more and more of these coaches get out, and I just wonder if the clock is ticking on Sam and going, look, do I want to deal with all these extra headaches and pain in the butt to try to, you know, re-recruit my own players and all that kind of stuff? So I think maybe the writing is on the wall, but I, I will caution any, anyone who says, you know, this is going to be a revenge store for Alabama. The defense is going to be fantastic. I got to interview Will Anderson last week. He is a monster. He is the best defensive player in the country. I talked to Bryce Young. He's the best offensive player in the country, best quarterback. Um, they've got some problems, though. On that offensive line, they, they had pass protection issues down the stretch of last season. Um, Bryce Young was talented enough to mask that. They lose their two best receivers. Look at what happened in the national championship. After they lose John Mechie and Jamison Williams, they struggled to find wide receivers to step up. I know they bring in Jermaine Burton. They bring in Tyler Harrell from Louisville. They brought in some pieces. I just wonder how quickly can those guys adjust I think the defense is going to be studly. Like I said, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner up front, Eli Ricks, Kool-Aid McKinstry in that secondary. Uh, they got a really good linebacker core. Henry Tillotoa's back. But I just wonder if that offensive line struggles and they struggle to find those wide receivers to step up in the void of all the big-name guys that they've had in recent years, it could lose them again. Uh, you know, a lot of people forget. They played with fire at Florida last year. That's a game that they could have lost in the fourth quarter. The Iron Bowl, you can argue they should have lost. You know, that game, if Tank Bigsby goes down inbounds, they run out the clock and they beat, and Auburn beats Alabama. LSU, they play with fire. LSU was in that game until the late in the fourth quarter. So I just wonder if Alabama finds themselves in some of those close games this year and some of those warts uh, that they have poke, poke out. You know, maybe it gives them a, a regular season loss or two in the regular season and uh, would certainly be a big blemish on Alabama's resume. Chris, I got 30 seconds. Give me a first-year head coach that you're going to be interested to keep an eye on as the season progresses. Yeah, Billy Napier is, is the easy one. Um, you know, everybody that I've talked to is in love with him in Florida. He's saying all the right things. He's finally got the recruiting going. He's a little slow to get going there for a couple weeks, and the Florida faithful were worried because that was the big problem with Dan Mullen. But Anthony Richardson is as good as any quarterback in the country. I call him Cam Newton. Like, he's got a big arm. He's got a great running ability. I think Florida's going to you know, pull off an upset or two this year. They're going to be the team they're not supposed to, but it's going to take Billy Napier a little time. I think seven wins is probably a safe bet 
in year one for Florida. But uh, sky seems to be the limit, and everybody's loving Billy Napier so far. Chris, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hopefully the Astros can win- complete winning this series later on this weekend. Yeah, shut it, Mariners. The sweep's coming. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. Chris Gordy, you can follow him on Twitter. It's just that simple. Chris Gordy. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. One final take before we run out of time here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Before we close up shop here on Under the Dome, CD has just one more take to fire off before he drops the mic. Is it going to be a take that lands on the Scoville scale? Or is it going to be as cold as the pizza in your fridge? Let's listen in and find out. Welcome back. Last segment of the show, one final take, and it's about what's going on Sunday. Sunday, Sunday at 6.05. And that is Ric Flair having his last match. The dude, I mean, like I was talking with Foot after the show. Because he talked about Ric Flair, how he just never liked him. The fact that he is 73 years old and going to be wrestling one more match in 2022, after all the health issues he's been dealing with, because he literally almost died due to health medical problems that he had back in 2017. He almost died. But somehow, someway, he's still going, and he has one more match in him. He's going to wrestle one more time in a tag team match against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal with his uh, son-in-law, Andrade Alidolo. I hope he doesn't die in that match, honestly, because that would be a bad look for a lot of people. It'd probably be a whole episode of Dark Side of the Ring, and that thing continues because who knows if that's going to keep going on, but that's kind of where I'm at. Hope he doesn't die. I hope everybody else has a great weekend in the Acadian area. I know I sure am because I'm going to be enjoying myself with all the wrestling, all the MMA, and all the sports. So go ahead and take it easy. I'm the famous CD. Some would say world famous. I disagree with that. Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll be back with you next time. Same bad time, same bad channel. That much closer to the start of football.